0: going to be looking together at the last chapter of the Gospel of John. So if you've been with me for this entire study through this book, congratulations. You saw the beginning and the end uh, of a great book of Scripture. Uh, I'm a little sad that it's over, honestly, because uh, you know, I have a goal to preach through uh, every book of the Bible And John is one of my favorites, and now it's done. Uh, But um, nonetheless, here we are at the end of the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John brings us to a unique place uh, here at the end of the book where we get a glimpse into the disciples' lives after the resurrection but before they're fully clear on what that means for them they know that jesus died on the cross they know he's been raised from the dead they have seen him twice already at this point and yet they're not really clear on what they're supposed to do with that fact or what they're supposed to do with the rest of their lives and so we meet them right at this point right at the beginning of chapter 1 and I want to pray for us as we open God's Word because Jesus is going to make clear to them what the implications of his death and resurrection are for them and that's going to carry with it implications for us as well so let's pray and then open God's Word together God our Heavenly Father we thank you that you have been so gracious and kind as not only to accomplish our salvation but to tell us about it and to explain to us in a book that we can read and understand and be guided by your Holy Spirit in, that can be put in language that makes sense to us, that we can obey it and walk in it and carry on a relationship with you, that in your word you speak to us and in prayer as we're praying right now we're speaking to you and Your Holy Spirit is interpreting what we say to you so that even though we don't know how to pray, that the Spirit prays for us and and interprets our words to your ears. Father, we're grateful for all these things. We pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would make the message in your word clear and that we might find it, that we can obey it. Because, Father, our goal is not simply to be smarter sinners, but that we would be obedient children in worship and, and awe and love for the King of Heaven. And, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's read God's Word together. First section of it here in chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When he got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, as I said, this is a unique period in history. Uh, These seven disciples have all come to believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah and as the true Son of God, but it's evident to them that Jesus is not the kind of Messiah they were expecting, that there's not going to be a political kingdom at this point. We'll, by the way, just as an aside, is there going to be one eventually? Yes. Read your Bible. We'll get to that, okay? We'll get to cha- uh, we get to the last book of the Bible, which we'll, we'll start some of that next week. We'll get into some Revelation next week. But... Um, but... Is there going to be a political kingdom? Yes. Is it going to be now? No. And they're starting to get that idea. But they're not really sure what they are supposed to do now that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so since they're not clear on what they're supposed to do, they decide, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I did before. I don't know what to do. I can't just kind of hang around jerusalem i need a job and some money and so i'm going to go fishing and the other guys go you know what i don't have anything to do either i haven't been been following jesus for the last three years let's go fishing so they go fishing is a great thing to do as men right and so they decide they're going to go and they go out fishing um You know, Peter and John and James, the two sons of Zebedee, were business partners before. And so, you know what, we'll just go back to fishing. Back to our former life. Back to what we did before we had uh, so much ministry with Jesus. But this time, they go back and Jesus is not with them. And they fish all night. So imagine this. This is not like, you know, this is not like the kind of fishing I like to do. The kind that involves a pond and a bobber and maybe a cricket or a worm on the end. You know, you're hoping that there's a a catfish or a bass sitting out there. Usually it's a bluegill about that big, right? But, but, you know, I like to do that kind of fishing. The kind where you get to be lazy. The kind where there's a fine line between fishing and wasting time, right? Um, I like to be on just this side of that line right over on the wasting time portion and, uh, and it is a very relaxing way of going but that's not the kind of fishing these guys are doing this is commercial fishing the kind like you see on deadliest catch or something like this where they've got these huge nets and they're take they are out in a boat and they're throwing this big heavy wet net over the side and then you and then you wait for it to to sink all the way to the bottom, and then you begin to haul, and the muscles in your back and your shoulders and your arms over time all night long begin to burn, and it begins in optimism, right, because you get out every day that you go fishing is a great day to go fishing, right? Until you go. And if you don't catch anything after a while, like every time I go fishing somewhere, when I run into people, what they say to me is what? You should have been here yesterday, last week, right? I'm always there the wrong week. I don't know why that is. There's something in the time-space continuum that prevents me from being there on the right day and the right week, right? But these guys are out, and they're throwing these nets, and it's hard work. It's sweaty, hot work. Peter's taken off his outer garment because it's hot. And you're working hard. Probably what these guys have done is taken off their outer garment. They have probably taken the the hem of their robe that they're wearing and pulled it up and cinched it in their belt so they've got a pair of pantaloons to wear. And they're working And they're working all night. And what begins in an exciting way, hey, tonight we're going to catch them all. We're going to catch every fish in this lake. By the end, the casts of the net are getting fewer and further between because you're tired. And for the last eight hours, you have caught bupkis. You're completely skunked. So who wants to throw the net again? Not me. Right? I'm thinking about a warm bed and a fire and something cold to drink, right? And these guys are off the shore about a hundred yards. And just as daylight breaks, they see a figure on the shore. And the figure calls out to them and says, Children, do you have any fish? you can just hear it can't you no (laughs) right and he says the voice calls back throw out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some they do in fact i love the fact since john was a fisherman he records exactly how many they caught and that they were all keepers (laughs) right 153 big ones came in the net at that moment guess who stand they realize guess who is standing on the beach it's the lord and jesus calls to them and they he says bring it in bring in your net and come have breakfast peter can't wait i mean think about this you ever know anybody like this? We're gonna—we're a hundred yards offshore. We're gonna be in in just a minute. But instead of that, Peter puts on his outer garment, his his tunic over the top of his robe there that he's wearing, and he jumps in the water and decides to swim for shore. Everybody else is like, "What's wrong with that guy? We got fish to bring in, <laughs> right?" And they're all in this net and the boat. Coming in. Peter's when they get there, Peter's standing on the beach dripping. And there's the Lord. And you know what's interesting? He calls them to breakfast and he's already made provision for them. He's already got fish on the grill. See, and by the way, ladies, if your husband likes to grill. It's right there in the Bible. Jesus likes to grill. So, (laughs) you know, it's a sanctified activity, right? Um, But he's got a charcoal fire there and some fish on it, and he's cooking bread. And he invites them graciously to bring some of the fish they've just caught to add to breakfast. And if this story sounds familiar to you, it should. It should. Because John is the last of the apostles to die. And he's the last one to write his gospel account. And I think he assumes that we're familiar with other, the other gospel stories and gospel accounts that had already been written by this time. And I think the fact that Luke's story... Luke tells a story in chapter 5 very similar to this one. If you're in small group, you'll read that story and this one and look at them side by side together. If you're not in a small group, guess what you need to do? Get in a small group. All right? (laughs) See me and we'll get you in one. Okay? But Luke tells a story very similar to this one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And these guys are out fishing. And they fish all night, and they caught what? Nothing. And then Jesus tells them to throw the net on the other side of the boat, and you're going to catch fish. And what do they do? They catch fish. A bunch of fish. In fact, so many fish that Luke says that the net begins to break. And Peter falls to his knees and says, Away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Peter and all the other disciples are called by Jesus and Jesus says to them, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. At the beginning. Here at the end. Same incident. What do you think Jesus is doing? i tell you what I think Jesus is doing. I think that Jesus is giving them through a very similar incident a living parable for what their life is like and what they're supposed to be doing now that he has been raised from the dead some things that that he wants them to understand number one that having believed in Jesus you can't simply go back to your old life Because if you go back to your old life, it's going to produce for you the same thing as before, which is nothing. It's nothing. You cannot go back to your old life that you had before you met Jesus. And number two, that the calling to follow Him and to fish for men still applied, even though Jesus would not be visibly present with them. In the same way and number three that apart from jesus empowerment all of the effort in the world would produce the same results as they had before which was nothing remember what what jesus said in chapter 15 of this same book apart from me you can do nothing but when jesus is present with them they're Ministry. their effort is going to produce more than they can bring in. And finally, number four, I think Jesus is teaching them that He is going to help them and ensure that all of the fish that they're meant to catch are going to get caught. That as they rely on His power, as they rely on His presence, as they rely on what he is calling them to do, that all of the fish get caught. Because in the Luke story, the net starts to break. Presumably some of the fish get away. But John is careful to emphasize here that though there were so many, 153 keepers, the net didn't break. Because Jesus is empowering their fishing. I think, that, like I say, that this incident is a living parable for them of the necessity to keep on following Jesus, to keep fulfilling His mission, which is the same mission that He gave them originally. And it's also His reassurance that through His empowerment, the mission that they're on is going to have guaranteed success. Guaranteed success. And I think for us in this little story, there is an important application for us as well. Whenever we become Christians, we receive the same mission from Jesus that they did, which is to fish for men. To go out and deliver His message to lost people that they might be caught by the gospel. And brought into relationship with God. That's still our mission. And we're not to go back to our old life. Amen? Every now and then I meet someone who tells me, you know, I grew up as a Christian, and I grew up in the church, and I lived my life as a believer all this time, and... You know, I just, I never had that period of rebellion in my life, and so I've decided I'm going to have it now. You ever heard anybody tell you that? Maybe it's just me. But I have heard some Christians say things like that, and I think, first of all, you are crazy. You're crazy. Because, first of all, as, as the Apostle Peter wrote later, You have spent enough time in the past doing what the Gentiles do already. And secondly, sin is very deeply costly to your soul and to your life and to those around you. It's not necessarily that these guys were in sin by going back to fishing, but Jesus' intention is not having saved us to let us just go back to whatever we used to do without him. Amen? We're not to go back to our old life. We're to join His mission and to live in obedience to Him and to fish for men until He comes back. To be actively fishing, by the way. I want fishing... With Marty Davis here a couple of weeks ago, uh, me and uh, Ken Baker and Marty were out fishing together. And Marty, uh, whenever his whenever his hook would be empty, he would haul it in and he'd be like, oh, I'm fishing on credit again. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, it used to be a worm there. <laughs> and I'm hoping they credit me for it now, <laughs> right? And he can't do that fish on credit you have to be in order to catch anything you have to be actively pursuing the fish right in the same way in the christian life you can't fish on credit you can't fish on what you used to do you have to be actively pursuing christ and actively sharing the gospel with people who need it amen And on top of that, there's this recognition, there needs to be a recognition that as we're obedient to Jesus, as we're on his mission, our mission is guaranteed success. If Jesus is able to make fish swim into a net so they can get caught and eaten, he is able to ensure that people who need to hear the gospel are going to cross paths with you and I that we might share the gospel with them and that they might come to faith in Jesus. Amen? Jesus is able to do that. And the mission that we're on is guaranteed success, same as theirs was. I want to read on, because there's a lot more here in this encounter with Jesus. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now again, this story is meant to parallel earlier incidents. When Peter denied Jesus, it was early in the morning. And it was standing next to a charcoal fire. And here we are again, after the resurrection, on another early morning, standing next to another charcoal fire fire and the earlier incident was among enemies this one is with friends and Jesus with surgical care confronts Peter in front of everybody and the questions begin using Peter's former name remember when Peter gets his name Peter It's after He makes in front of everybody this grand confession. I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. And from this time, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but the Father in heaven. And therefore, from now on, you're going to be called Peter, the rock. And on faith like yours, I'll build my church. Where are we now? Back to the former name. Why? Because Jesus is trying to get Peter to see that the rock has crumbled. And what was, Gibraltar has become a handful of pea gravel. And so he goes back and he says, Simon, son of John, not once, not twice, three times. You know why? Because G- Peter denied three times, first of all, but also because in Jewish culture, every oath that you made, you, in order to solemnize it, you, what you would do would be repeated three times in front of witnesses. So Peter denied three times in front of witnesses that he even knew Jesus. With an oath. And here, Jesus asks him three times in front of witnesses, Do you love me? And after each one, there's an assignment given. He asks him first of all, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, than these other guys. Because that was Peter's claim. He said, hey, even if I have to go to the death for you, even if these other guys all walk away, I'm down, Jesus. I'm down for the struggle. I'm in. All the way. But when the chips were down and everybody else ran away, Peter couldn't beat feet away from Jesus fast enough. Simon, son of John, let me give you the Greek word here. Do you oh, me. Do you love me with self-sacrificial love, like you said, more than these guys? No. Peter answers back, Lord, you know that I love Phileo you. I love you with affectionate love as my friend. This is obvious he can't claim self-sacrificial love. He wasn't willing to sacrifice himself. That was obvious. Jesus gives him assignment. Tend my sheep. Second question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me with self-sacrifice? Maybe not more than everybody else but love me with self-sacrifice. Peter answers back, Lord, you know that I phileo you, that you, I love you as my friend with affection. Assignment given. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep is the second one. Then the third one. Simon, son of John, do you love Phileo, me? And now Peter is cut down. Because he's seen the movement from comparative to do you love me with self-sacrifice? And now Jesus asks, are you sure you love me with affection, like a friend? But he's meeting him on his terms. And Peter is cut to the heart and he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love Phileo, you. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. The section concludes with another word to Peter, a prediction about how his life is going to end. He says, "When you were young, you went out, you 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 went where you wanted to go. You dressed yourself. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and somebody will take you where you don't want to go, and somebody else will dress you." What is he telling Peter? He's telling him how he's going to die. And he's telling him, you're going to die like the master. And I think this is an incredible act of grace on Jesus' part. You know why? Because think about this. If you were Peter, what is the greatest moment of shame in your life? The fact that despite all your big talk when the chips were down, when Jesus needed someone to stand by His side and say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Messiah and this is what He said and this is what He taught and this is what He did and everything He's telling you is true and if you don't believe it, then you deserve to go to hell. That's what Peter should have done. And his greatest regret of his life is that he didn't do it. And Jesus is telling him, you know what, Peter? All your big talk one day is going to come true. At the end of your life, you're going to do what you said. You're going to do it. You're going to lay it down for me and for my glory and for the fact that you do, in fact, love me. And Peter did, he went to the cross for his Savior proclaiming Jesus, the Savior from sin and death, who was raised from the dead. And if you got to go out, having your greatest regret wiped out in an act of heroic, self-sacrificial love for Jesus is a great way. And Jesus says to him again, follow me. And the point that Jesus is making is that if you're going to follow me, then love is going to have to precede ministry. That there is a task that Peter is given, but you've got to get established things in the right order. You've got to decide that you love Jesus, and as a result of that, you're going to follow Jesus. And very often, we want to do it in reverse. We want to say that, well, look at all the things that I do. Well, that's obvious that I love Jesus. Jesus says, no, no, you've got to get it reversed from that, that you love me first, and then out of the overflow of your love for me, then I give you an assignment and a ministry to do. And if we struggle with sin, men and women, can I submit to you this, that the problem is not that we need to focus more on getting rid of sin. The problem is that we need to focus on loving Jesus. And as we love Jesus and pursue Him and walk with Him, sin begins to frankly take care of itself. Because you turn away from it naturally because it is offensive to the person that you love. And you focus your attention on loving and pursuing Jesus and then out of that flows ministry to other people. As you follow him. I think there's deep application for us in this. <laughs> that all of our ministry, all of our life, everything we do is supposed to flow out of following Jesus because we love him. Not fear of punishment. Not because we're, we're thinking that God is a traffic cop up there waiting to ticket us when we sin, but out of love for him. That as we love him, we follow. And then we serve. And then we also have to follow him to our destiny. I know I'm over time, but I'm going to preach this anyway because it's great. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during supper and had said... Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know, even after his restoration, Peter is still human. He still wonders about God's assignment and his destiny for other people. Any of you all ever wonder about why God gave you a different assignment and a different calling and a different set of gifts and a different set of circumstances than he did other people? If you did, this, chapter is for, this part of the chapter is for you. This is for me, right? Lord, how come you didn't make me perfectly healthy? Lord, how come you didn't make me rich, right? We, can all, we all love that song that Tevye sings, Fiddler on the Roof. You know would it somehow confound your vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, if I were a rich man, right? We, want it, we, we look at that and we go, well, God gave them different circumstances than he gave me. God gave this person health and he gave me sickness. God gave this person wealth and he gave me poverty. God gave that person intelligence and he gave me dumbness. And he gave, you know, God apportioned all kinds of different things and different pathways to different people. And we look at that and go, God, what about them? And in the midst of all those questions, we get Jesus' declaration to Peter. What I have laid out for other people does not matter. That is not your story. You follow me. Their calling is to be faithful to their calling and their life and their circumstances and to walk with me according to the way I have lined out for them. But your job is to follow me through your story, through your calling, through everything that I've laid out for you. And we might like to renegotiate the deal and somehow pick other circumstances, right? Lord, I'd like to be be skinny, strong, Healthy and rich, please. Right? I mean, you know, that would be good, right? God has picked a different path for each one of us. And our call is to faithfully follow Him to our destiny, whatever that is. So if it's martyrdom, to go all the way to the stake, proclaiming Jesus. If it is relatively comfortable circumstances in a decent neighborhood surrounded by people who are lost, it is to faithfully proclaim the gospel to every single one of them. If it is to go to another country, it is to be faithful in following Jesus there. If it is to die young of a disease you didn't want, it is to faithfully walk with Jesus through that. If it is to die an old man of old age, It is to be faithful to Jesus until your last breath. You don't get to pick what your destiny is, but your job is to be faithful in it and to it. Amen? To follow me, as Jesus said. Amen? Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so gracious and good that you give us many, many more than a second chance. Because we are prone to weakness and sin and failure and unfaithfulness in our following. Father, we pray that we would grow in love for you. That, Father, the consuming passion of our lives would be to love you. Jesus and love you more and more each day and that our love for you as it grows would make us more like you. That we would not focus on not crashing into sin, but that we would focus on running toward Jesus and imitating and following and becoming like Him because we love Him. Because He has been so incredibly good to us and he is so amazingly good father help us to love him and to love you and then to be faithful to our calling whatever it is until the very end and we break the tape in jesus name amen